Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Oh God, we cry out to you and ask that you would be with us, that you would teach us, that you would make your word known to us, that through the reading and preaching of your word that the Spirit would would reveal Christ to us, and that our love for him might grow. Lord, we ask that you would do all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 23, we're continuing our, uh, our series through Acts. I'll remind you as we're returning and uh, y'all are getting to your places there and your Bibles and devices, uh, that Acts is written to confirm that certainly the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. We see that great truth. It's continuing even in the way in which the Lord uh, sovereignly cares for and protects Paul. Again, we see that's part of him building his church. He has a, a job for Paul to do. He's told him. He's sending him that way. And he is directing his steps. Listen now. Hear God's word. Acts 23, starting in verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. And he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him. I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. 
And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatrius. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be, car- uh, to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. You may have heard of, uh, of this quote or, or this, uh, this saying uh, that's been around for several uh, decades now. And, and that's just because you're, you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. And that, that comes from a, a book, uh, somewhat famous by an American uh, author, uh, that uh, even the book's title uh, created its own uh, catchphrase and, and quote. And recently I, I heard someone say in kind of a, a jesting, laughing way um, that, that there, was, there was once a time that they laughed at things they saw as conspiracy theories and today they see all around them happening. I don't say these things to encourage anybody to uh, pursue conspiratorial thoughts or, or to think paranoia, you know, everyone's after you, but uh, actually I'm, I'm seeking to, to prove the, the opposite of that, but but that there is somewhat in, in our, our culture an attitude of uh, there is conspiracies and actions and, and movements against me or, or whatnot. And, and we do see a reality of a real conspiracy happening here against Paul. But even seeing that, we have seen the greater sovereignty of the Lord over these conspiracies that are there. They're happening amongst the Jewish leaders. So as we look at our passage together, what I wanted to see is that, that you don't need to fear plots against you or the church, for the Lord is in control. So whether or not you might like this famous saying, say, hey, it's not paranoia if it's true. Well, that doesn't matter. We don't need to be afraid of what plots may or may not be there against the church and Christ's people, for the Lord is the one who is in control. We're going to look at three things, producing the plot, perceiving the plot, protection from the plot. The first thing we're looking at, producing the plot. Forty wickedly zealous men have come together conspiring to kill Paul. Now, sadly, we look at history and we see that there are those who seek to do violence and even kill in the name of God or gods or their deities or their uh, philosophies that rule them in a religious sense. Sadly, we can even look at at church history and see, particularly between Protestants and and Roman Catholics, that there there was much blood spilt against one another. We can look around today and we even see folks in the name of, of God or the gods or what they believe in seeking to kill those who don't follow along believing them or believing as they do. These are things that uh, I'm sure uh, can be saddening, uh, concerning, 
that we see around us. Perhaps maybe gives us an insight to these 40 men who are, who are zealous extremists in one horrible direction. You know, God's been, been turning the world upside down with the gospel. We've been reading about that through Acts. We've seen that over the last several months. God's come in and, and he has brought a great movement of the Spirit in Jerusalem, saving many Jews, bringing them to, to full faith in their Messiah. The promises that had been made that the Lord had given to them, they're taking hold of these things. And those in power see it and it is very upsetting to them. That's the reason why there's been so much opposition to Paul. The description uh, was there, even in what we, what we read, this, this attack against Paul just being his presence in Jerusalem and preaching the gospel. So much so that you have these 40 men who, who take an oath to God, saying, I will not eat or drink until I help kill this enemy of yours. So I think it's safe to say they're very convicted and motivated. They believe this. They want to see Paul silenced. They do not want to see the gospel going forth any more. Perhaps it's hard to think about where someone's heart's got to be. That, that they would feel a need that they must kill someone because they're Proclaiming a gospel of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard, I think, to, to grasp, and yet we see it throughout, sadly, history. People doing these very things, motivated, claiming the name of God to do great atrocities. I think perhaps we even read this and we can look at these 40 men and think, man, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like those nut jobs, killing people over the gospel, and yet we're reminded, our Savior tells us, that to, to hate someone is, in his eyes, is like murdering them. So we need to hold God's law up against and say, you know, do we find ourselves hating others because of their false views? Do we find ourselves hating those who hate God when we're called to love them and to bring the gospel to them? I think we should be careful riding on too high a horse. We might not forget but for the grace of God, there go I. And even allow it to encourage our praise and worship this morning for the salvation that we enjoy. Now, that's not to say that God hasn't called us to and told us about the reality of the spiritual war that's happening around us, but it's a spiritual war. We read in Ephesians the, the armor that God has given us, the offensive weapons we have is God's word in, in prayer. These are not physical, temporal things. But it is what he has, he has called us to. Not what we see here with these wicked men who are seeking to, to kill Paul for his, his beliefs. We are called to love our neighbors, even to love our enemies. To bring the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus to bear to them. So, as we read of these 40 assassins, as it were... Uh, you know, let's all be clear. Let's make it clear. That's never, never an okay thing. That we might say, for the name of Christ, we're going to go and kill these people. That's the exact, I mean, that's, that is an attitude of antichrist. 
the opposite of the message of the gospel. Not something that's acceptable. And yet we see these 40 men, they make this oath, and then they go to the, to the chief priests and the Jewish religious leaders. They tell them of it. And what is it that the, the religious leaders do? They join with them. Which is mind-blowing. You would think that they're told this, and, and even though they, they can't stand Paul and they're upset with the message, surely these would be the ones who would say, what is wrong with you? And they would rebuke these men strongly. They said, have you not read God's law, do you not understand what you're doing? What is wrong with you? And then call for their own. The troops of of the the temple to take these men into custody until Paul is safely ushered away. But that's not at all what we see. What we read is, is the chief priests and the Jewish leaders, they conspire and they, they decide to join in on this plot. This sounds good. We'll do that. We'll call Paul down. You guys murder him dead. Like really dead. We really want him dead. You do your part. We'll do our part. They're high-fiving each other. They think, we got this figured out. We're going to get rid of this, this preacher who's so troublesome bringing the gospel, preaching this Jesus Christ raised from the dead, the supposed Messiah that we've been told is here, calling us to repentance. The leaders, the ones who should know, we know these things. He's calling us to repentance and faith in in this Jesus. Take this man out. Kill him. Get rid of him. So we see there is a conspiracy that's happening here. and, and, And... And yet I hope we're having Psalm 2 ringing in our ears even as we read this. And and if not, listen now to Psalm 2 and may it it ring in our ears. As we read what God wrote through the psalmist, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What is it that these, these Jewish assassins and these Jewish leaders, what is it that they're doing here? They're conspiring, not necessarily against Paul. Ultimately, they're conspiring against God. They want the gospel silenced. Their conspiracy is against the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They do not want to be constrained by the gospel. And then we, we continue in Psalm 2. This is the response that God gives. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrifying them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What's Christ's response to this conspiracy? He sits and laughs at the feeble efforts 
of these men who think they're so powerful and wise and shrewd in their actions. Now again, there, you, you hear this, and, and, and one would have thought, surely, the religious leaders of Israel, the very ones who held the oracles of the faith, who had, who had the Psalter memorized, that someone would have stood up and said, we might want to be careful. We might want to proceed with caution. I mean, we're talking about assassinating someone and all the context that's involved. But then step away from that. You know, as I mentioned, there, there's, the Lord does not call us to violence because what's, what, what silly, vapid, empty violence might we bring when the Lord is the one who is in control of all things. When you read these passages, when it is made clear that the King of Kings, ruler of all things, is the one who says, I will hold all people accountable, including the most powerful. It's good for us, dear saints, to take a step back and let our King do his work and do what he has told us to do. We, we look like little toddlers throwing temper tantrums. But God is the one who controls the very breath and the lungs of all of those who live, the beating of their heart. He is the one who has foreordained all of history. We can rest in him, even amongst the plots that may be happening or may not. It does not matter. We can sit in contentment that Christ is on his throne and he is ruling And the father has said, kiss the hand of the son. Show him homage. And he has said that to all of those who sit in what is seen as earthly power. I hope reading God's response that he he laughs is one that, that rebukes us when we sit in conspiracy with our flesh, the world, or even the, the lies of Satan that come our way, that as we sit and, and we listen and hear these, these lies, and then we seek to conspire against God, might we be rebuked and reminded, and might we be encouraged, for it is the King of Kings who is sovereign over all things. And all what might be happening or might not be happening, not just in the worldly powers, but in the the dark powers, the principalities, Satan, those who might seek to wield war against the church, we can rest in the fact that God is in control. Satan will bring no devastating blow against the church. We see throughout the scriptures, Job gives us a clear picture that God is in control. So producing the plot, and then we see perceiving the plot. Paul's nephew hears of the plot to kill Paul. We don't get much information here about uh, Paul's nephew other than it's Paul's nephew. We, we, don't, uh, we don't get a picture here of whether the fact Paul's nephew is a, a Christian, he's a Jewish young man who's come to faith in the Messiah, We don't know if he's just a a faithful Jewish man who heard a plot to kill his uncle, whom he loves and doesn't want to see it happen. He may have heard the plot and in hearing it realized this is not good. Perhaps maybe he likes his uncle, but he's more concerned about what's going to happen if this plot comes to pass. We don't know. We don't get that context. We just know that Paul's nephew shows up, the son of his sister, 
with this news that he's heard that God sovereignly has allowed him to become aware of. This plot has been given, revealed to him. So he is aware of it and he is able by God's grace to then act. And the Lord is using him. The seemingly unimportant young man who we know nothing about, we don't even get his name. And yet the Lord is using him as God is continuing to build his church, as God is continuing to fulfill his promises. Not that God couldn't do it without Paul, but but that God has chosen to do it with Paul in this particular aspect. And his nephew is brought in and, and used by the Lord to further what's happening here. The children, you know, think about the reality that sometimes it's the small, simple things, the areas of faithfulness to our king that you hold. It's, it's yes, the big things, but sometimes it's the small things that, that seem so insignificant that others may never hear about. But it's your faithfulness in both big and little things that God is using. And we don't know how. That's the amazing thing. Uh, Who knows? We're not told Paul's nephew if he realized what was happening or even after the fact. We don't know how God is using us and our faithfulness. One of the wonderful things is perhaps we can look forward to in heaven. Maybe God will give us a glimpse of how he used it. We might glorify him even more. But we're called to faithfulness and duty, so let us do those things by God's grace. And so Paul's nephew, he, he comes, he tells Paul about what's happening. He gets taken to the, to the tribune, and he relates to the tribune the plot. That's, hey, they're going to kill Paul. Don't fall for this. They're going to tell you, hey, come on, bring Paul down. We'd like to talk to him a little more. We'd like to continue this conversation He's saying, please don't listen to them because they got 40 guys who are waiting. They took an oath to God. They're going to they're kill Paul. That's, their, that's all that's on their mind. You know, they're singing songs about how Paul and killing him is on their mind. That's the only thing on their mind. That's what it's all about. They're, 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 they're reassuring one another that we're doing the right thing, and that is it. That's their focus. Kill Paul or die. He's like, don't go. Don't take it there. Don't go. It's amazing that we get a glimpse here that, that the, the Roman soldiers, the centurion to start with, and then the, the tribune. I mean, Paul has made quite an impression upon them. One, this young man's able to come in. Paul tells the centurion what's going on, and the centurion actually listens. Like, he doesn't tell Paul, shut up, you know, whatever. You're a prisoner. I don't care what you have to say, but he's, he's actually listening. And then, then he takes it to the tribune. The tribune takes this young man, pulls him to the side. He's very concerned. What is it? Tell me. What do you have to tell me? What is it Paul wants me to know from you? Paul's made an impression. I think greater than that, though, we see God is working. We know in the scriptures, the Lord says, we've been reading through Exodus and we've seen what's been happening. And there's a constant uh, reminder that God is the one hardening uh, the heart of Pharaoh. But we also read in the scriptures that God is the one who turns the heart of Pharaoh like he turns a river. God is the one who turns the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls 
So while Paul may have made a great impression here that we can assume, we also know without a doubt God is working overarching in the hearts of these Roman soldiers. He's turning these hearts that they might be receptive to hear and then to act and to move so that his greater purposes would come to pass. That the promise made to Paul by Jesus just the night before would happen. That that the kingdom would continue to be built just as Christ has said it would. That glory would be given to the Lord. So God's given bravery to Paul's nephew to step forward. One can imagine. If you're a young man and you hear that there's 40 guys who've taken an oath to kill someone and you're going to go reveal that and you live in the same city they do, that's pretty courageous. Most folks might be scared to reveal such a, a plot. But he goes, and then he goes and tells it, and these Romans respond. The church and world needs Christians with wisdom and and courage. We can see this, and it's a reminder of the importance. It's important that we be courageous, not that we be fearless. We're going to live and have fear, but that we be courageous and step forward and do what's right and trust God. He's going to take care of us. And whatever happens, God is in control, and we can rest in his goodness and his grace. It's important that we be confident in God. So we see producing the plot, perceiving the plot, and then protection from the plot. The Roman tribune moves quickly. I mean, he moves quickly to protect Paul, the Roman citizen. Even in the letter that he wrote that he sent off to the governor, he makes it very clear. He skips over the whole part about how he was about to whip illegally the Roman citizen because that would be very bad for him. But he makes sure that the, that the governor knows, hey, hey, I saved Paul, the Roman citizen. Like these Jewish people were going to kill him. I came in. It was actually pretty amazing what I did. I came in and saved Paul, the Roman citizen. We got to protect our citizens. And then he tells them, of course, you know, they they got this this disagreement going on uh, amongst their law, this religious, this, that, and that. But I don't see any guilt in him. And I present him to you because they're trying to kill him, and we need to protect him. He's the he's a Roman citizen. This is what we do. So he writes this letter. He sends a, a large force of soldiers immediately in the night to go. Now, part of that might be the fact that obviously just thinking with wisdom, if you've got 40 guys committed to killing, you know, you send an overwhelming force. You send a message to the religious leaders of Jerusalem. Hey, we're Rome. We're in control. Uh, you don't mess with us. So we're going to send mounted soldiers. We're going to send infantry. An overwhelming force to make it clear. You're not going to take out a Roman citizen, not on my watch. So there's that. Of course, God is overworking in all of this. Paul is once again being preserved from those who are seeking uh, at this point to take him out ahead of the appointed time that God has put for his, his life. They're protecting this Roman citizen. They have this large force that goes. But even in all of these actions that we read of, the letter that's, that's put penned, by the tribune, all of that. Again, we're, we have to see clearly that it's not just a Roman tribune who's working. 
to keep Paul, the Roman citizen, safe. It's, it's our Lord who is caring for a citizen of his kingdom, for one of his adopted children, for the apostle that he has called and he has set forth to work. It is ultimately the Lord who protects Paul. Again, remember, verse 23, backing up to where we were last Lord's Day in verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, this is Jesus standing by Paul, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus said, you witnessed me here. You're going to witness me in Rome, period. So Jesus made a promise. It's not based upon whether this tribune is going to act. God is moving. He controls the hearts, men, women, boys, girls. Paul's going to Rome, and that's what we're going to see. There's going to be more things that hit and, and would wipe out any, humanly speaking, would take out anyone else. And yet, it's very clear, Christ's promise is going to be fulfilled. He told He has told Paul, you're going to Rome. Rome is confident, or Paul is confident that Rome is where he will go. And even though God uses sinful men all throughout this to accomplish what he wants and to keep Paul safe, it is God ultimately who is working. I mean, think about throughout all history, all things that are happening, it's sinful people God is using to bring these things about. God has foreordained all things, everything. And it's sinful fallen people in which he is uh, directing. I encourage you to to go to Westminster chapter 3 and and read in depth about how that happens, how that works. You know, how is it that, that God from all eternity in his most wise and holy counsel of his will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass using means and all these things and read the chapter, read the the proof text, the study texts that are there. That's your Sunday afternoon homework, as it were, homework throughout the week. Read it. Pray about it. Worship and praise God that he is the one who is in control of all things. Because regardless of the circumstances, dear saints, you do not have to live in fear. Children, you never have to live in and fear. The only righteous fear we have is fear of God. But we do not have to live in fear of anything around us. We do not have to live in fear of dying in the night as we sleep. We do not have to live in fear of not having the things that we need or that there will be those who will stop us on the street and, and, and murder us or we may get in an accident or whatever. It is. We don't have to live in fear of these things. Because the creator, ruler, and sustainer of the universe has ordained every moment. He's made promises. He's keeping them. He's good. We can trust in his goodness. Even when things seem to be great trials and challenges and misery, even when we're dealing with the consequences of our sin and the sin that's around us and the things that are happening and all this, we can rest truly in God's goodness. He's awesome. He loves his people. He glorifies himself rightly. We can rest in that. While others might seemingly live in a world of up and down chaos and what they think is a cold and different universe, you've had the truth revealed to you. You understand the reality that God 
is in control. But let's pray for one another that that he would grow our understanding of that reality and our faith in him. And that's where our hope would be found in Christ. Producing the plot, perceiving the plot, protection from the plot. Dear saints, don't fear plots against you or the church, for the Lord is ultimately in control. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. We're thankful that you are sovereign over all things. Even as we read this recounting of how you cared for Paul, we see your love and your your tender mercies on display, but your sovereign, almighty power as you were building your church, bringing yourself glory, doing all things your will perfectly. So, Lord, help us to grow in our faith that we would trust you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.